Wacker Slaps, where we look back into the annals or the annuals of 2000s indie music to determine if an album, band, or even an entire musical movement was actually good or just the product of the hype machine of its time. Like all great podcasts, this is the direct spinoff of an unhinged, sketchy group text that simply refuses to die. And joining me now are some fools, fools, fools gone wild. Hey, bonjour, je m'appelle Noah. <laughs> and I'm your friendly producer, Adrian. And I am your host, the Hatchet Man, Caleb. Welcome to it. This is episode 20. We've made 20 podcast episodes. 21 wow. if you uh, count the super secret one. Oh, yeah. That's uh, quite the accomplishment. We did it. Yep. What's the twentieth? Uh, who could we do? Who has twenty albums? A lot it's of like bands the, have twenty albums. It's like the twentieth Paul McCartney solo album. Does he have twenty albums? Probably. It might be this one. It might be this last one. He just came out with an album. What was it called three McCartney? Three. three? Yeah. Not McCartney twenty. No. <laughs> what was that band he had? The Firefighter. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's oh, got some was... some wolf parade energy. Yeah, I think uh, time will be kind to Paul uh, Paul solo and wings and all that. I think it is now. I think his solo shit's better than anything Lennon ever did on his own. Whoa, no, that's true. Lennon's solo shit's just all like weird boogie woogie rock, and then just like come on, really, classic Ono band. Really? She's... Oh, yeah, but that was all Great. Yoko. Really, let's be honest here. Yeah, but I would t- I would take like McCartney two and a uh, Ram over yeah, plastic. Yeah, Ram's Ono good. Funny, I even like that. I like that weird fantasy. Christmas song he does too, the one with all the weird like electronics and shit on it. <laughs> God, I hate the that drum machine. Uh, one more Christmas time, or, or simply yeah, happy, wonderful, happy, wonderful, happy, wonderful, wonderful Christmas time. The song's creepy. Not, not great. Not a great song. <laughs> uh, Based on my research here, Paul McCartney doesn't have 20 solo albums yet. The one that just came out was 18. Number 18. Oh, close. So, yeah. No we're cigar. So, 20, we're better than Paul McCartney. We follow through with our commitments. Thanks for sticking with us, listeners. Um, I know it's been a lot of ups and downs. Um, and our 20 episodes account for probably, like, what, 500 hours of audio. So, that's, like, more than most podcasts. We're in this, you know, do the long game. We're coming up on that. Uh, 5,000 hours in order to yeah mastery do something well <laughs> yep and we'll be just be like shitting in a bathtub on tiktok in no time <laughs> what is yeah, that a thing what's what that video reference? you sent us today the fucking uh the weird joe rogan video but he is freezing himself yeah. for some reason that's, that's how you stay in peak form man yeah you think there's something about like having like headphones and like audio waves going through your head that much to just like smooth your brain out like him? <laughs> I think his brain was pretty smooth before all that. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. I don't know if like there's some sort of podcast related like cognitive much, issues that dude's having. Yeah, too much Google searches for that guy. 
Any <laughs> rabbit holes fucked his <laughs> fucked his brain up. Yeah, just, don't go down rabbit holes, y'all. <laughs> don't go chasing ra- uh, rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, All right. Nice. Cool. Shall we well, get into it? Yeah, let's get into this episode twenty. Noah, today. what are we doing today? We have the band Wolf Alice. No way, <laughs> AIDS Wolf. No way, oh, no. Wolf people. No, Peter Wolf of Jake Isles Band Solo, baby. Oh, or no way, Wolf Eyes, or Caleb's favorite, Wolves in the Throne Room. <laughs> yep. Um, no, you today f- we're doing. You forgot Peanut Butter Wolf. Shout out, mentioned in yeah. a previous episode. Ghost Wolf, the fake band I made up. <laughs> um, no, we're doing Wolf Parade, and the album is Apologies to Queen Mary from the year. 2005 uh, i believe debut album right That's yeah right. very much so yeah strong debut i believe they had an ep or something came out before or like an extended single or something yeah oh, they had three eps before this record uh, actually. The, the three ep thing that's came like out. a that's a force in indie music you know beta band dude made three famous EPs. by the beta band but i feel like uh i feel a number of other bands have done that before like their debut or big second release or something you know just kind of having just three little eps laying around i will now sell five copies of the beta bands three eps remember that <laughs> yes how can i forget this is the second yeah. week in a row we mentioned high fidelity Ooh, let's just make this a cusack podcast <laughs> go through his filmography cusack cul-de-sac don't turn around i think we should go through his twitter actually i don't know if you guys oh has he got twitter mad uh, he's just one of those ultra lefty. Uh, well, that's good then, uh, rather than being like James Woods or something. I thought you're talking about he was like shitting, shitting in a bathtub with Joe Rogan <laughs> or something. Yeah, he's like on Breitbart with like fucking Dennis Miller and James Woods. All right, let's get into a Wolf Parade. Apologies to Queen Mary from 2005. What are they apologizing for? Because well, they shine, they shine so bright. Oh, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get to it. Oh, okay. Okay. Adrian, what did uh, Pitchfork.com have to say about this debut album? So this one was pretty big. I think a lot of publications were hyping this band, and especially this record. So they gave it a 9.2, which is Ooh. pretty fucking good. Random. They got a, <clears throat> they got a best mama. new music. Oh, mama. Uh, this review was by Brandon Stissy. Stosoy. Stosoy. Say? He was their Stussy, resident yes. metal dude. Right. He ran the he, Show No Mercy uh, um uh label and then he later did Haunting the Chapel at over at Stereo Gum to change teams. He, do you think he signed up to do Wolves in the Throne Room and then he got his wires crossed and he's he like, definitely oh. co- he definitely covered them at some point. But now he's like yeah. a uh, like a self-help guy. Self-help. Well, like a cre- Writer, creative like creative he, writing kind of like Oh, like a toolkit guy. Yeah, he has a book yeah, called like kind of stay inspired. There's one called Making Time for Creativity, another one called Stay Inspired. That's cool. Yeah. He's like yeah. a publisher guy. Anyways. Yeah, so he Shout was, out. you know, he was one of their more eminent kind of uh because he did also, besides the metal, which you mentioned, Caleb, he also did cover a lot of big ones. Like he did like Beat Happening, Reissue, and from and a couple of other things that were pretty, pretty big reviews but this one um i i pulled the so this is interesting because i pulled the first paragraph and the last paragraph because i felt that while it doesn't really describe the music too much necessarily i think it describes 
a lot of what was going on around the record and also it kind of describes what we're we're doing with this podcast so uh mm-hmm. let me just dive into it considering the amount of pre-release talks surrounding apologies to the queen mary it's inevitable that reviews of wolf parade's debut will contain bad wolf puns modest mouse references isaac brock recorded much of the album riffs on montreal's music scene by those who couldn't locate the city on a map and name checks of the quartet's pals the arcade fire and frog eyes Amid the noise, what apologies might not receive is the close listening it deserves. If you can, block out the baggage of its built-in hype machine and take this stuff for what it is. I still remember the excitement felt when I first heard Modest Mouse more than a decade ago. At the time, my friend and I talked about how it sounded like this or like that or whatever. But beneath the snobbery and geeky influence detecting, we were excited. And so obviously into what the band was doing. If given the chance, Wolf Parade should engender similar scenarios. In a few years, other folks will still remember where they were when they first heard Apologies to the Queen Mary. Now, I think that last part's a little hyperbolic, but yeah. I I agree that sometimes you have to look past the hype and, and look at the record for what it is. And this is definitely one where there was so much hype surrounding it, it couldn't help but color like your first listen to it, you know, or whatever. Because, I mean, especially unless you're literally picking it up cold, you know, based on the cover or something, it's always like almost impossible to not know about this band or hear about this band uh, around this time. Yeah, I feel like in that uh, in that review, he's like calling us out. It's very prophetic. He's like, I know what you guys are going to do with your podcast, because <laughs> I had all of those things he mentioned, that laundry list of things queued up. So like I was like the Podstradamus. Yeah, but. Would you say, I mean, will this be the part where we talk about what their deal is? I I had a hard time, other than the whole wolf part of their name, I had a hard time. And the Montreal thing, too. Yeah. I think that kind of yeah. was the set and setting for them. But mm-hmm. I guess sound-wise, I didn't feel like they were like a necessarily uh, were chasing any trends or gimmicks at the time. They're kind of, yeah. I guess, the whole synthy stuff, but they're not, they have a different synth sound than uh bands that were being hyped around this time totally i had i had trouble comparing them to like their contemporaries as well as finding influences um usually i have a pretty good ear for that sort of thing i mean it's not great but i had a tough time with that which i thought provided a you know a more um engaging listen that way you know i wasn't just trying to like connect it to whatever their favorite bands would be or whoever else they would share bills with and what kind of who they were in dialogue with so that was that was that was kind of cool i mean i even like read the review to kind of like jog my memory about like what their kind of touchstones would be and i know like the name checked the pixies and david bowie and i don't know i didn't find that particularly resonant or helpful because it's like who doesn't you know but like those three pillars like that's every fucking band in 2005 so um yeah which is okay because usually you know um Sometimes I got to check my own myself and like just kind of listen to listen to bands or albums for what they were, you know, what they sound like now without just trying to like influence check them. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, I guess their deal, they're just indie rock, right? Capital I indie rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Canadian rock, Canuck rock. Well, I would argue that they were they were kind of they became more influential on the latter half of the. 2000s i think than they were influenced by the first half if that makes sense i think Mm -hmm. they did take those ingredients which bands that we've already covered 
taking to have taken those same ingredients and done something completely different. I mean, you could say that that's that's the ingredients for clap your hands, say yeah, you know, really. But that's a completely different <laughs> record, right? And this one, you know, they did have kind of a unique sound. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think just the song, the way that they came together, the songwriting talents in the band. But I think that they they became influential on a lot of things that came after it. I mean, especially like those vocals. You can hear the like those vocal, that kind of vocal style. I mean, it was around this time, like other bands were doing it. But I think that specific mm-hmm. sort of sound, they definitely, you know, they brought it back into the foreground in a way that I think maybe it was not seen before, or I don't know. I think that just in terms of also incorporating electronics, that was also huge, you know, the synths and stuff, the way that they incorporate them. I mean, there's tons of bands that came in the wake of this that were, did it really crappily, you know, and yeah, it's just kind of very crutchy, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. They're not, um, I guess they, they lean more towards the punk of the whole dance punk thing. Mm-hmm. Cause they, they do have that, that dancey drum beat going on. But, yeah. There's uh, some, there's some, but Adrian, I think your their vocal delivery, I think separates them from a lot of those more spikier kind of dance punk bands. Yeah. Well, their, their vocals are unique and like, they really put them in the forefront and, and sing with a lot of character, you know, I feel like it was kind of, in vogue in the generation before them to just kind of toss off your vocals or to just be intentionally lackadaisical, you know, and um, apathetic with how you sing, but like to actually sing with like a good amount of range and personality, you know, like this band was doing was, you know, kind of not like, you know, groundbreaking, but I think it, I think it might've set them apart from, you know, the other, bands of this era even or you know other canadian bands or whatever's coming out of montreal yeah. at the time they did they had that whole dual singer thing which i was trying to think of other bands at the time that had such a uh like 50 50 split uh of, seals and croft of the singers Loggins and messina lennon and mccartney lennon and mccartney the carpenters it's not really i mean like husker do i guess is one of yeah the, you know the most perennial ones but in terms of like the modern era i i can't really i can't really think of anything where it is i mean certainly bands with two vocalists or whatever but in terms of songwriting and like the the, the actual songs like splitting it 50 50 this way i couldn't really think of anything else that yeah was it is hard to think of one like like the band comes to mind like it's mm-hmm. almost but that was like that was sharing about like three or four ways you know yeah mm-hmm. but if you listen to those albums it's more it's either levon helm or uh richard manuel usually switching off and then danko would get like every fourth song so and then robbie robinson somehow got all the money he fakes <laughs> he faked <laughs> faked his way he was just the least his, he sang his all the, yeah all the way to the bank <laughs> He's the least on heroin. He so kept he, it clean between the ears with the cocaine. Cashing all those checks. He used cocaine as performance enhancing drug to like steal their music rights. Um, but yeah, we should get into history then. We'll talk about who these little fucking Montreal dudes are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the record was recorded from September 2004 to spring 2005 at audible alchemy in portland oregon and also in montreal the majority of it was produced by isaac brock who we've talked about before you know leader shout of out. modest mouth shout out 
and then the band took on three tracks after uh i think brock got a little bit busy uh while they were finishing up so they just took the rest and and kind of finished on their own he floated it was on <laughs> it was released by sub pop on september 27th 2005 it is their debut studio album and correct me if i'm wrong but this is is this the first sub pop that we've done yeah i think uh, so yeah well the rapture but i guess they were they weren't on sub pop when we yes not that record i think was straight dfa i don't know if sub pop had anything to do with oh, that but yeah. maybe that's something on the back end See, I that's, don't know. that's really interesting because like sub pop was like at this time was like kind of reasserting itself you know because you know they, they you would have thought that they, they would have just like kind of flamed out after you know 1994 or whatever when what they were bringing into the music kind of got completely commercialized you know and watered down and so they i think they saw the, the change in the tides and they actually always had a very diverse catalog of bands you know like yeah um, always yeah yeah if you go back and look at that you know like whoever else was on there was pretty pretty deep and like they just got really popular from you know the kind of more louder you know more abrasive kind of like commercial sounding rock bands and well, even those early was, sorry not to interrupt but even those early no, compilations no. like that sub pop i think sub pop 200 is what it's called anyways those early compilations really showcased even though a lot of it was heavy heavier kind of grunge you know quote-unquote grunge music there was a mm -hmm. lot of variety there so yeah, keep going, Caleb. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, and then so it was cool because I remember like you know I won't step too much on my own section about my own personal history, but like you know I've always been a kind of a labels interest person mm. who's had an interest in labels, and that's kind of love to label shit, dude. I love to put labels <laughs> on things. Uh, I've always used labels as a way to kind of curate what I'm listening to and like create lists and kind of go down you know rabbit holes. And I remember at this time seeing Sub Pop on back of CDs I was buying or, you know, just going on their website and looking at all these bands that were on there and just getting kind of really, I thought that was interesting because I thought I had put them in my own past of like, oh no, when I was like into Mud Honey and Tad and Nirvana and whatever, when I was in high school and I didn't really think they were relevant anymore, but then there was just like tons of releases and like that, you know, that kind of big indie um wave that was like you know up until uh, up until this time and then like yeah. you know it's like fucking band of horses and built a spill and all these like kind of marsh high marquee shins yeah so i thought I, I that was cool and then i was so they kind of had i guess a second i guess that would have been like their third rebirth or whatever yeah. so yeah interesting yeah. they played it smart because they can essentially exist as a reissue label from here on out because they have like they had that extra decade of albums that are now getting reissued on vinyl as a 10 year 15 year 20 year yeah anniversary totally couple, yeah couple that and with the 90s stuff they pretty mm -hmm. much never have to release a new band anymore and it's probably extremely helpful to the bands they sign now because they can be like you know the label of record a trusted label that like you know like younger boomers or like gen x people can be like oh sub pop i know that label and then like maybe not know what fucking fleet foxes is gonna sound like but <laughs> you know it, i don't know i think it, it's helpful to those bands that they can kind of get a built-in um audience you know based on that label and that pretty deep history yeah i mean i think 
I think like you're saying, Caleb, going about it that way, just finding a label that you like is a great way to, and especially back in the day when we were doing, you know, going to the library or whatever, it was a great way to find stuff. Cause that was one thing you could actually find on the label. You know, you could look at the label and be like, Oh, this is on whatever, you know, yeah. Columbia in the 1960s. Yeah. So I think it's probably going to be good, you know, or whatever right. it is. Or it's like on touch and go or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or sub pop. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, but to get back into the, the background, um, the the band formed when Spencer Krug was offered, I believe, a tour, uh, a touring gig, and he needed to put together a band in like three weeks. So he enlisted Dan Beckner, and the two of them began writing songs in Krug's apartment, uh, initially using a drum machine to, to provide the rhythm section before uh, they invited Arlen Thompson to join them. And that's sort of been the core trio for the entire existence of the band. They only had rehearsed one time before they played their first show together. So that's kind of wild. I mean, it, it's three weeks. Like, that's a crazy turnaround. And then to, tr- to try to write songs, like, that's pretty impressive, I, I think. I don't know. But eventually they were joined by uh, another member, Haji Bakara, uh, who plays synthesizers and, and does some sound manipulation stuff and programming. Um, and that was that was the core group for this record. Um, later, Dante DeCaro, I believe is his name, from Ha Ha Heat joined them right after, I believe, this record was released or around around the time of its release. And he would uh, go on to become a member for, for a while. Um, it's the second time I've talked about Ha Ha Heat today. Oh. It wasn't yeah, even that like hot guys. today. Why? <laughs> I was just thinking of Canadian bands. I was talking to somebody else about Canadian bands or like kind of forgotten indie bands. And then my friend, Shao Carlos, was like, what was that band? They were like a screamo band. And then they just became like a, a fucking like synth punk pop band. And it was Hot Hot Heat. So he's thinking of. Nice. <laughs> what was that album they had? Something Midnight or something? Makeup you Breakdown. Of, you thinking uh, of yeah. Automatic Midnight by the Hot Snake? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I got, I got the wrong. <laughs> you know, it's kind of that. Band. Yeah, it's kind of that uh, scuzz rock. <laughs> like Is Hot Snakes Canadian? Hot, no, they're uh, San Diego. They're from, yeah. Uh, close. <laughs> Geographically, not at all. Right. Mentally, not at all either. But, <laughs> yeah. um, so, all right, moving on. Uh, in September of 04, the band traveled to Portland to record with Isaac Brock. He had signed them to Sub Pop. At the time, he was an AR, an AR man for them. And he, he, would, he produced, you know, obviously he helped produce the record as well. Brock had known Dan Beckner from... Beckner's previous band, Atlas Strategic, uh, who had supported Modest Mouse on tour previously and were also offered a record deal with Sub Pop, but they broke up. Songwriting, as we mentioned, songwriting vocals for the album are split evenly pretty much between Krug and Beckner. I think it's actually exactly evenly, if I'm not mistaken, six and six or something like that. And then there's Um, one kind of down the middle duet, I think. Yeah, and then they do contribute like backing vocals to each other's songs, and obviously they play on all the songs. the instrumentals so do you guys know where the, the name of the record comes from no i mean my dad Apologies. used to say when there's too many lights on on in the house that it was this the house was lit up like the queen mary does it have <laughs> something to do with lights or long beach california well long beach california certainly so the the name of is it comes from this story of I don't it's probably an embellished story or something they made up, although it could be true. I don't know. But they claim that it comes from an incident where they were 
on the Queen Mary, they broke down a ballroom door and staged a quote unquote violent seance. Uh, and then they got caught and kicked out. So this, the title is literally their mea culpa to the Queen Mary for, for fucking things up a little bit. Um, I don't know how true that story is. It's, it's a, it's a good story. It's a good yarn. So I imagine that's why they tell it, but who knows? I mean, these guys are kind of cheeky, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I never well, thought of it as the ship, a sh- reference to the ship, the Queen Mary, the cruise ship. I thought it was like some, cause they're in the Commonwealth. I thought it was like a Canadian thing. Royals, like the queen mother isn't like Queen Elizabeth's mom's name, Mary or something. I don't know, I, dude. Watch the crown. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was more like a Royals reference. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I thought they were just like, we're kind of just irreverent rockers. So sorry, we're not part yeah. of your society anymore, England. It's like they're God save the queen. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Did they get in trouble releasing that album title in Canada? I know um, in the quebec province they're very protective of the french language and culture <laughs> so i think the sheer mention of the queen mary would have incensed them yeah i don't know that's an interesting question for i, I wonder how that affects the music scene to all our uh connect uh to our quebecois listeners hit my line let me know yeah but leave the voicemail in english yeah <laughs> speak english <laughs> Okay, moving on. That would the be dope. If we got a fully a long n- in any language that's not English. That would be rad. I would play the whole thing. Hey, even why the hell not? Yeah, we yeah. we are definitely we are international. So any of yep. our international fans, if you want to send something, you know, in in Mandarin or whatever, yeah. in your mother in, tongue, just, yeah, go ahead Khmer, and send us a message. Hit us up. Whatever. Arabic, whatever you're speaking. At Wacker Slaps. Anyways, moving on. The band spent two and a half weeks working 14-hour days on this record in Portland before returning to Montreal to complete the Which record. Which is the most anyone's ever worked in a day in Portland, Oregon. Fun fact. <laughs> yeah, that's the entire... Oh, in a week, actually. They did it in a day. <laughs> uh, it was originally scheduled for a May release, but it was pushed back. I didn't um, find the reason why, but in the meantime, they did release... Uh, as we mentioned before, uh, a self-titled EP, one of four of their self-titled EPs. And then that was their first release for the for Sub Pop. And that was came in July of 2005. And I think that helped build the hype a little bit. Those first two EPs definitely were something that was, you know, that those were buzzed about um, for sure. Uh, so there was a lot of like material out there already. And some, a lot of these songs ended up on the album, but you know, it still hit pretty hard when it was released. And in fact, it got a lot of rave reviews and, you know, it's, it is considered one of the most influential albums of the decade. It's on numerous best of lists, best of 2005, best of 2000s, whatever. Uh, Pitchfork itself named it the 10th best album of 2005, right after Cameron and 89th on the 20, on the 200 best of the 2000s. Is that the Purple Haze Cameron? That's right. Damn, great record, record. Yeah. classic um and then it was shortlisted for the 2006 polaris music prize which is i believe a big a big deal in canada although i can't be sure what's the big one to the juno awards that's, that's like yeah Grammys? that's the other one i think yeah i think the polaris is kind of the more yeah. indie one indie but i could one, be mistaken yeah. i think you're right 
Cool. And, uh, and yeah, that's about all I got. Nice. That's pretty, pretty interesting history, I think. And they seems like they were coming at us, us uh, Indian here. It's from all sorts, certain angles, you know, a bunch of different angles. So we're prone to get ensnared by them, get trapped like a wolf. Okay. Um, let's jump into our backgrounds with this album. Let me kick it off to the wolf in sheep's clothing, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> he pretends um, like he likes Hindi, but really, yeah. Let me tell you something: the He's world's made up. Guy. The world's made up of sheep and wolves. Yeah. <laughs> Which one are you gonna be? You gonna be lunch, or you gonna be the fucking hunter? All right, get your paper up. Come on, mogul time, baby. Um, all right. You guys ever uh, look at those videos, or like the like the like the gurus, or like those like memes that have like just stock footage of like mafia movies and shit, and just like these weird <laughs> pro capitalism platitudes? You got to be careful if you look at those things. They will they will blow up your algorithm, and then everything that you come across on Instagram or whatever is just all shit like that. Yeah, it's all like Gary Vanderchuk speeches talking about hey, you got to stop being a pussy. I and love not that guy. sleep and just make money. He's like, fuck this. I hate fuck how he uses family. He, he like he took the word fuck and like turned it into like, a, dude. It is uncool to cuss now. Yeah, it's like, like, like oh, I feel, you killed it, dude. You yeah. killed it. <laughs> yeah. And especially now, like conservatives and shit cuss all the time. That's a, like and like they have beards and shit. That's like that's how they're edgy. They're like, I don't fucking care until it is. It's really I might have to go back to not cussing. Yeah, that was a political play for a little while there for like politicians running for like president to get caught on camera being like, I mean, like, what the fuck is the deal? Yeah, like, it's like, to I drop don't like to little... cuss, but if I'm cussing, that must mean I'm real upset. It's like, I'm sick of this shit. <laughs> um, but my history with this album, I, I, uh, Read the review. Uh, I was like, oh, I got to get my hands on this one. Sounds exciting. Um, and I believe it was a MySpace first encounter with some of the singles. Maybe it was when they had their EP going or something. Because I remember hearing, I believe on their MySpace page, they had a Modern World, Grounds for Divorce, and I think uh, This Heart's on Fire. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, these are good songs. So I eventually bought the album. I think it would have been a um, Santa Maria Best Buy purchase for sure. I got it probably about a month after it was out. And uh, I listened to this album like fucking constantly. I listened to this album a whole fucking bunch. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I played it like um, thousands of times. I this would have been also when uh Adrian when we were working at the uh pizza store shout out uh this was definitely getting played on my delivery runs in my car definitely getting played at the boombox in the uh in the kitchen there at the uh at the pizza store it's a good making a run music, you know, like, oh, yeah. hey, we need to go get more beer. And you like, you kind of just put that on for like two or three songs to go down yeah. to go down to the Dino's, Santa Maria Liquor, and, uh, you know, the, the memory I have the most, though, it has to do with one of our coworkers at the pizza store. I won't name his name, 
But Adrian, you'll know who I'm talking about. But this guy, he was, uh, let's just say he was a little weird, but we were all, it was all weirdos that worked at that place anyway. Oh, yeah. And But this guy was like extra weird. And you're gonna, I, everyone who listens to this podcast worked there, so everyone's going to think you're talking about them. Uh, well, well, maybe we are. Yeah, this guy might not have access to the internet anymore. He might be off the grid. He wasn't one of the core homies? No, 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 no. Okay. We, we met him through work. And got he, it, got it. Super, super nice guy. Just very like painfully quiet and socially awkward. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was a big, he was into movies and music. And uh, so we'd talk about that. And uh, one day I played this at the pizza store. And uh, he was like, man, that thing rocks. But he was all awkward. He was like hard for him to like get excited about anything. And uh, he's like, what, what, what is that called? And I was like, Wolf Parade. And he's like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, it's a shitty band name. And he's like, oh, yeah, it is shitty. And I was like, no, it's a good band name. I was trying to like cholo mind trick his ass. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I was like, no, yeah, uh, you want to borrow it? he's like could i and i was like yeah here take it and uh so he went and uh i saw him for like a month and i was like finally i was like hey uh you got that cd or do, do you need a blank cd or something so you can burn it or uh or what and he's like my bad man he's like i was gonna burn it but it's never left my car stereo <laughs> for a whole month and he's like i keep listening to that song i'll believe in anything he's like i listen to it like 20 30 times a day and i was like all right well that's you know music can be therapeutic but maybe <laughs> maybe there's some other you don't stuff. want to believe in just anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe uh but anyway so that was always touching i always remember that guy like, being, if you'll believe in anything dude i got some fucking literature in my car yeah. for you but he was just, it like shook him to his read core. this pamphlet that song he's like that song man <laughs> and then I, th- yeah. I think eventually i was like well just burn the album and then give you the cd back tomorrow and then he did and uh yeah that's my main memory is that guy just getting his mind blown by i'll believe in anything because that is the song of this album like that song was kind of a, a 2000s anthem like, yeah, it has an opus magnum opus and i would listen to the shit out of it like in my room getting high like fucking just groove into this just like yeah give me the anthem the anthemic indie rock so yeah uh pretty rich history but then like a lot of this shit about a year after about a year of listening to it i just dropped it like a bad habit and you got never, weaned from that teat yeah i never <laughs> i never really left thought the pack of, baby thought of it again yeah that was that. Nice. Very cool. What about you, Adrian? Since you worked at the pizza store. That was a great story about uh, Edward. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> That's not who it was. Adrian knows who I'm talking about. Oh, I know exactly. Who I, I get about. it. I, I know. What you're <laughs> yeah. Solid, solid dude. Definitely. Medward. Definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely a little shy. A little painfully shy. But yeah, I I, I also have a pretty rich history of with this record. I, I also got it. I downloaded it probably right around the time it released, if not the day it got released. And yeah, similarly, it soundtracked a lot of my early college years, my early uh, working years. I would listen to this uh, as a cashier at the gas station. I would put this on super loud, you know, when I was closing 
Uh, and it just sounds, it sounds great. You know, in any real, anytime you're like moving or doing something, it's a great, it's a great background for that. Um, but it, it became kind of similarly to, you know, I listened to it thousands of times, probably in this era, or at least hundreds of times. Uh, and it never really got old for me. Um, and yeah, I would, I would also similarly share it with people. I, you know, I don't, I don't remember if I shared it with you guys in particular, but I remember definitely sharing it with other people and, and then, you know, being like similarly like, oh, this is a great band, um, similar to your experience, Noah. But, you know, I also got into a lot of the, because this band, I, I guess the Montreal scene is probably just tiny to the point where this band has a lot of tentacles and other Montreal bands, other bands from that scene. So I was really into Frog Eyes, which is uh, another band that Spencer Krug was in, and especially Sunset Rubdown, which is uh, Krug's sort of solo uh, disgusting name <laughs> <laughs> yeah adrian you're the only dude i know that was like repping that sunset rub down the dragon slayer that, that album's good dude i liked that one i liked the one before a lot too oh, the one before that one yeah it's it? shut up i am shut dreaming. up, I'm, shut up dreaming. I'm dreaming yeah that's a yeah. good record too dude yeah i was always more of a Krug guy in terms of the the Krug versus beckner although i did love that Krug. Yeah, I'm a crew group. Uh, I love. I mean, I've always loved both their stuff. I love, but I was always more into the more artsy, druggy, weird shit. So yeah, crew yeah, just yeah. spoke to me more. But you know, I definitely love Beckner stuff because his stuff is more art damaged than than really artsy. Let's say, and it's also more anthemic. And that more I punk. think they balance each other. Yeah, exactly. It, it you know, they're more straightforward, quote unquote, his tunes, but they're a nice balance to the, to the kind of more abstract Krug stuff. Um, but yeah, this, this record also reminds me a lot of skipping class to go, you know, just drive around and get high and fucking go shoot the shit at someone's house for a while and then fucking go to work or whatever. It's a lot. It, it definitely soundtracked just a lot of my day-to-day, you know, business. Uh, Cause I always felt like it's a record where, it's not, it wouldn't be unusual to put it on back to back, you know, like to listen to it a couple of times in a row, just because the way that the, it's the songs are like set up and then the way that it kind of, you know, kind of comes out the gate really strong. And then that first half is, is really, really strong. And, you know, I, so it was a really important record to me and I, I, I loved it and I continued to love it for, for years and years. You know, it, it never really left the rotation. Maybe there's years where I didn't listen to it for a while, but it always came back. And then what, one other memorable thing around this record is that about a year after it was released, about a year after I, you know, I started listening to them, I saw them live with a couple of our friends, uh, aforementioned friends, Pat and uh, Dave in L.A., and it was a great show. We, I believe there was another, I believe we were joined by a friend of Pat's, an, an Irish girl, a redheaded Irish girl, um, who brought some box wine. And we were all drinking the box in the wine. Bag. Michelle. Yeah. There you man. go. But we, so we were doing the, doing the space bag, doing, doing a little hash, smoking a lot of weed. And uh, yeah, we were feeling, we definitely feeling good getting into the venue and i remember i forget i think it was like halfway through the opening band dave i just look at dave and 
you know, he's a, he's a, he's a large fella. Um, but I just look at him and he just falls straight down, like right over like oh, the fucking tree. Timber. <laughs> timber for sure. That's like and six foot, what? I four like inches he, of yeah, falling he's tall, to his he's face. Tall, dude. He's, he's a sturdy man. Yeah. So <laughs> he played I see this basketball. and I'm like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> and like the crowd around him is like, are you okay? Are you okay? What's going on? He like gets up and he's like dazed. And he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. And he like runs off <laughs> and we're just like, what the fuck just happened? And apparently he went like, got, got a drink of water, sat down for a bit and then came back. And um, eventually we met up with him after the show, but <laughs> we, we lost him for pretty much the rest of the show, I think. And, but aside from that, the show was really great. I remember they played about, maybe two thirds of this record. And then another third of the show was stuff from that second record. Um, but the, the crowd was super into it. I remember uh, certain songs hit really hard. Um, I'll mention them when we get into that a little later. Um, but yeah, it was a really great show and it kind of solidified my, my fandom of them um, and especially crew. Cause he was pulling double duty uh, frog eyes open for them. And I just remember he was fucking pouring sweat like his entire set. And he's like, he has like, he had this headband on, which at the time could be like an affectation. But when you saw this dude working, he's just like, I think he even straight up mentioned, he's like, I only wear this because I sweat, not because it's cool to do. Nah, and this fool was just pouring sweat. Soaked his headband Classic. Um, so yeah, I you know I really I really like the band. I really like the these dudes as songwriters as as creators and and yeah, that's kind of where I you know landed out in terms of my history. Nice. Adrian, I feel like you're like you're you were invo- you're involved in a lot of stories around shows of just like one person you're there with like falling out. Like, <laughs> I and then like I having have a bad trip a... or going missing or like <laughs> that's just, definitely they always true. come up. <laughs> I also have one story where I. Uh, almost passed out, but oh, we're gonna have to save that for time. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, nice. we're saving that. We'll save that paywall, our, baby. Yeah, we'll save that for our moldy peaches episode. <laughs> it was too intense for Adrian. <laughs> well, it's it's actually it's tied to two specific bands. One we already covered, and one that I'm sure we'll be covering in the future. So. Nice. Uh, there we go. Just a little tease. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, but Caleb, don't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, this is definitely a summer '06 album. Shout out Vince Staples, um, which I believe that out al- that album's about his love for his nascent indie rock days too. But yeah, this is summer '06. Uh, Toyota Matrix jams. That's what Pat drove, and we were working at the summer camp with where I met Jen and also Michelle, who you're talking about the Irish lass. And yeah, so that's where I got into it. It was just like, you know, we're listening to a lot of what it came out around that time, like the Sushan Stevens album, this some Wilco ghost is born, a bunch of cool shit like that. And, um, and I, but I might've heard it earlier in the summer. I think Adrian might've told me about it, but definitely it was like a combination of either Adrian or Pat or both just kind of really, standing for this album pretty hard uh for good reason because it, it was fucking just hit me like a light when it came out to me it seemed like it came out of nowhere because i think i was at a time where like i have trouble getting myself to like read a lot anyway so like and i probably didn't own a computer so i wouldn't have been like tied into you know the blog thing or like you know websites like stereo gum or coke machine glow or whatever else you know 
like I had always hear about that shit kind of like secondhand. So it's definitely like word of mouth album. And um, yeah, as soon as like I heard it in the white matrix, probably like smoking to Chesterfield, probably drinking boxed wine, honestly. Yeah, just like that that first song it comes with like those fucking drum hits and, and you're just like, whoa. And then you hear, you know, that kind of freak out guitar. Um, and yeah, just kind of like just anthemic and like really heartfelt, um, but also has this like heartbreak to it as well. Yeah, it was like really, really revelatory for me. And I just like really love the energy of it and the flow and uh, just all the different like colors that this album brings. You know, there it had a good amount of ballads that were, you know, a little bit more slower, a little more tugs on the heartstrings. But then they had just like you're just rockers and kind of poppy stuff. And it like really um, is the first time I experienced like indie rock having bangers, you know, before I always thought of it was something that was like cute, a little out of reach and quaint and kind of that's kind of antithetical to what it was. It was just supposed to be like a comment on popular music, a comment on rock, but it couldn't really like, you know, pitch you over the head and be upbeat or loud and, you know, and just, you know, what we call a banger, just something that just like kind of hits on all cylinders and just like, touches you somewhere else you know call it I, a slapper on this podcast guys. sorry yeah thing that's my other <laughs> that's my other podcast i do and yeah i think it was like this, a bunch of songs on this and then this also would have been the first summer i really got into bell and sebastian they're like the life's pursuit album which has a bunch of bangers on it you know has like we are the sleepy heads that slappers. jam and it's just like has a bunch of slappers so it was like there's the summer i was listening to like indie slappers and i was like oh shit this shit's like fun but also compelling and artsy and stuff so like yeah, that was like really cool. And like, I think I just like was drawn to how catchy it was, but also just like you were saying, Adrian kind of had that, you know, slightly maybe, you know, narcotic influenced or, you know, definitely that art pop kind of, you know, David Byrne or Bowie kind of familiar, but, you know, a little, a little more out there kind of bent to it. And, yeah, I listened to that album like all that summer, kind of like, caught up with all the homies about it and it was just like played all the time. Like I said, it was like good driving music, but then I also like listened to it for like winding down at the end of the day, getting up in the morning, you know, kind of like it doesn't there's not a really an inappropriate time to listen to this album back then. And yeah, and then it really got me into like the whole like they were a vector for you know a bunch of other bands I started to listen to at that time, um, like Frog Eyes and Sunset Rub Down blackout beach and like that kind of canadian swan lake my favorite super group of all time robbie robertson <laughs> robbie <laughs> robertson voivod <laughs> uh blasphemy conqueror godless hawks. godless north the hawks doa <laughs> deglo abortions you name it ronnie um, hawkins and the hawks ronnie hawkins and the hawks neil young Joni mitchell the Mana Birds, um, Michael J. Fox movies, Jim Carrey <laughs> movies, Martin Short, yeah, the um, Quebecois separatist Marxist groups of the seventies, you name it. I got got all into that shit. Um, hockey, and um, yeah, so I listened to like a lot of the like kind of like the there's like bands like are like on Absolutely Kosher and uh, Jerry Jaguar and stuff like that, like. Yeah, it's kind of more because I'll still listen to a lot of like 
like the psychedelic folk stuff or just like kind of like new psychedelic rock you know um but this stuff was a little bit more i don't know contemplated a little a little bit more down the road down the middle you know but you know good so yeah i was like jamming on a lot of that stuff and kind of went more in that direction kind of like that weirder stuff that was kind of like our generation's response to Tom Waits or Leonard Cohen or whatever, but adding just more kind of weird art student elements Another to it. Quebec client, Leonard Cohen. Oh yeah, that's right. See, that was my Canadian or summer. Montreal. Apparently. Oh yeah, wearing the blue denim on denim. But wait, of Montreal, not from Montreal. No, they're not from Montreal. Athens, Georgia. They're from another uh, very fertile. Oh, so they're like a scene. reverse the band. <laughs> they want to sound Canadian, but are from the South. Yeah. Yes. And the band was from Canada. Except for Lee Von Helm, who's from Arkansas. And yet Lee Von Helm is not credited with writing the songs. How the fuck does that work? <laughs> all business baby <laughs> justice for leave on home um i don't think anyone in the band was from uh quebec though I yeah robbie from... robinson's from montreal oh he's of montreal i think or maybe he's not and maybe his wife is i think he lived there for quite a while oh uh, i was always thought they were all like ontario boys but... yeah i think you're right caleb i think his wife is from there and he really i knew he, he grew up partially like on a like a first nations like reservation yeah. system yeah he's That's mohawk right. indian i think mm-hmm. or, yeah something yeah right on he is six nations Cayuga and mohawk yes so yeah um yeah so i just just kind of jammed on a lot of those bands that were related to wolf parade and um yeah, kind of stuck with me for maybe a year. And then, like, you know, is my terminal condition with this kind of music is just like gets replaced by something else. I go on some other jag, uh, whether that was like Jag Jaguar or whatever. I started listening to like Terry Riley jacking or I, you jacking off <laughs> different kinds of porn. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, or some males like listening to like classical music for four months or like, you know, whatever else and kind of just i don't know didn't pick it back up again story of my life but uh yeah yeah very had a very strong impression on me and um well spoiler alert for current reactions i had a good bit of trouble compartmentalizing the nostalgia for this album with like a kind of fresher ears contemporary listen so yeah yeah stuck with me to be expected all right, why don't we take a little uh, Canadian break <laughs> and we'll come back and talk about how we feel now. All right. Travian. And we are back. Um, I did forget to mention some um, French-Canadian bands. Uh, uh, so shout out Fortress, Akista, uh, Monarch, Ephemer, Frozen Shadows. Um, and that's just Quebec. And then I forgot to also mention... Um, uh, Anvil, Strapping Young Lad, Revenge, Snow. Kitty, Snow, <laughs> uh, cr- Crytopsery, um, Gore Guts, Three Inches of Blood, Cataclysm, um, all great contemporaries of Wolf Parade. <laughs> nice. You can hear all those influences. Yes. In this, yes. In this, uh, yes. Band. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of have that more uh, European sensibility. You know, something a little, <laughs> a little more, a little bit more polished, a little bit more cosmopolitan. 
Yeah, so. you'd hear the British influence with the French for sure. Okay, so how do we feel now, having listened to the album this past week? Or I actually started listening to this album before last uh, this past week, you know, just because I knew it was coming up and I was driving. So I was like, shit, I need to get this in, you know, and it was an absolute pleasure. So I guess I'll just go since I've got you all teed up. Um, Yeah, I got to say this still slaps. I mean, absolutely. Um, Like I said, I was on a little drive uh, up north from my anniversary and it was like, you know, getting to think about early days. And I was like, yeah, Wolf Parade was a big band. And so I just put it on in the car, cruising up the 101 up in the Redwoods. And it was just like, I don't know, man, just from that big, that little, that bang from the beginning, a little drum hit. And on it's just like it's a it's just a really well-rounded album yeah like i said i won't even try to separate my nostalgia from my more adult critical ears that it, it, it just it's it, it sounded like i was listening to it again for you know when i was 19 and i fi- and i find that like um each song is like unique and fun and i think that's like it's serviced really well by like the changing off of songwriting credits and vocals and things and how you kind of get a new fresh approach with each song so it doesn't like drag itself down and i feel like a lot of albums of this era just that after the third song to like the seventh song is just kind of this valley of just mediocrity and um this album doesn't do that it just like really keeps the pace going and kind of just dips when it needs to and maybe throw in like you know more contemplative ballad type song um but then brings it back up with the song is just like a thumper you know and just like a fun kind of you know just popular kind of indie rock jam and um yeah it's a it's a really good time too as a listen it's like you know, the, some of the vocals are like a little bit hard to get accustomed to because you're like, oh, yeah, these dudes were fully just eccentric with their with their approach, you know, and had a lot of confidence and joie de vie. And so like but then you bet that becomes like really charming and fun, you know, and part of it and part of the weirdness of this album, because like these guys weren't like afraid to be weird, but then and just didn't rely too heavily on that as just like this expectation to be kind of alienating you know um there's something very familiar and comforting with all these listens and um yeah i think the vocals being kind of really high in the mix and not afraid to try things out um just makes for like a like a more unique and stronger album and i think the playing on this album is like really underrated you know because like i know their vocals got a lot of coverage and their and their lyrics and the synths and stuff but like the rhythm section on this album is fucking great. The drums are just like that kind of just in the pocket, thumpy, distorted kind of style playing, not dissimilar to Levon Helm almost, you know? Are these blast beats, Caleb? I don't know what a blast beat is, but <laughs> um, there, I, would, I would, you should check out Catopsery or um, uh, <laughs> ooh, check out Cataclysm from uh, French Canada. They do a, what's called a gravity blast. They're famous ah, nice. for it. Or I would check out Fuck the Facts, too, also from Canada, some uh, <laughs> Canadian art grind. Um, they have blast beats, but no, there's is there's nary a blast beat on this album. No, blast beats are really fast. I don't know what I don't I have trouble describing drums 
unless it's like in the in the metal context. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess it's more. I shouldn't say blast. I guess it's like a disco drum beat. At yeah, times. totally. But sometimes it's more kind of like I don't know, garagey and just like kind of you know st- stomping, you know, feet stomping and stuff. So like it has a good amount of variation with the like the drum approach. And but I just like the tone of the drums, just like that, just kind of rattly, distorted. You know, kind of sound. I don't know what they're doing or what. What you know, you can really hear the room in it, as they say a lot of times about drums. It has a really live sound. Uh, sometimes drums are just sound dead. Um, well, I think does Brock? I believe I think Brock plays drums, so I think he probably would be. If that's the case, then I think he would probably take recording them pretty seriously. So that's probably why mm-hmm. they sound so good, or at least partially why they sound so good. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Uh, uh, Arlen um, Thompson, I believe his name. Yeah, he's he's a really talented drummer, and like you're saying, he has a lot of little jazz inflections and stuff like that that are coming through. Uh, yeah, some of his more African live. stuff as well. Definitely live. Yeah, yeah the it, room, that's a good word for saying. it. Yeah, like, it, it has jazz like a sounds. certain amount of resonance and um, like snap to it. And yeah, and like I said, like distortion and some like gain that um, yeah, you would like yeah, you would hear like. Art Blakely play on a live album or stuff, which almost, some people have attributed him and other players to actually inventing the blast beat. Noah, so I Tony Allen. Yeah, I think we're on the right track here. Tony Allen, the late great. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I just like the and the playing's just fun. Like the synths, I don't think are corny or anything. They just add a lot of cool density to it. Um, but the rest of the playing's just like loose and fun and carries the. The vocals and the, the arrangements really well um and yeah it, it has a lot of romance on it you know like i think they're talking about some relatable themes but it's like more romantic for like not like for a romantic partner but more for just like you know being a weirdo being an artist living in a big city you know that kind of thing is kind of like the the kind of the hue of this album that i really dig and um, I will say that I think it finishes. I mean, the first song is a banger like that. That is like that. That is a way to set an album. But I do feel like the back half of the album is a little stronger. I, I think I return to those songs more or more. Um, I feel like they're more reminiscent of it. Um, it has, you know, a good mix of slappers it has a good mix of kind of more down tuned ballads and then it just has some bad boy jams on there too you know some kind of like kind of you know rascally kind of rockers so um and then i think it finishes incredibly strong so um yeah i i totally get now in retrospect why this album is so big because it was just really well constructed and the delivery of it is just something that you would have trouble picking apart and not you know being into especially if like you know if you're already into indie rock then it, it checks us all as bosses but it, if you're not and you're kind of you know listen to different other types of music and you hear this it's like it has a familiarity and like a i don't know confidence that um would resonate with people and make you steal it from my brother yeah, yeah. not give it back yeah so yep it gets my uh seal of approval yeah, it's like exuberant. It's less like sad boy, more yeah, exuberant. exuberant. Yeah, there you go. And yeah, I'm definitely running with the the wolf pack on this one. Shout out. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'll go next since mine. I touch on similar things, 
that you did, Caleb. Mm-hmm. I think similarly for me, and I don't know if it's because I'm back in the same house that I was in when I was a teenager or whatever. I mean, that definitely play, plays a part of it, but I also had this kind of nostalgic experience. You, wait, you're, you're in that house? Mm-hmm. Can, okay, dude, the left corner of the couch. Could you look under the cushion? <laughs> oh, I, I hate to tell you this, but we got rid of that couch 10 years ago. Oh, dude, I had a fucking sack of a AK-47 that I lost. <laughs> Damn oh, it. man. Sorry. Yeah, definitely a lot of residual weed in that couch for sure. But yeah, so I, I had a very also kind of nostalgia tinge, you know, experience with this. <clears throat> Although I, I have listened to it in recent years because Wolf Prey is actually pretty popular in my office. I think there's a couple of other people that really appreciate them as a band and so we listened to it and that kind of got me back into them a little bit i had been off of them through through kind of more more later years in college just because i was listening to other things not because i didn't you know got tired of them or anything but that you know listening in the office definitely got me back into them um but i i just think like yeah I, i think that this record holds up really really well like surprisingly well considering how I wouldn't say of the moment because that makes it seem like it's it's following on trends or something, but it certainly just sounds of 2005 in a way that that it doesn't color the record in a negative way, which I think it maybe colors like say the Clap Your Hands record, which came out the same year, you know, second time mentioning them, but I think that one is still is is stuck in 2005. This one just sounds like 2005, you know, it, it, and it's in its exuberance and it's whatever in in kind of the the way they're layering things and just the way that they produ- produced it it's very of its moment but i think that that in a way helps it now because it, it just i don't know the pristine production different things everything about this record i think fell into place in the right way whether it's you know them landing on sub pop recording with brock whatever i think that they were able to not only get around the hype machine and, and surpass the hype machine, I think maybe even just kind of waited it out basically, but you know, they surpassed that. And I think that now listening to it, you know, 15, 16 years on without the hype machine around it, I think it still holds up because the songs are really well written. It's really well performed. Like you're saying, Caleb, like the drums are, they sound live. They sound great. The keys all sound really great. It's all really well produced. It all has its own place. There's nothing, you know, even when they get, it gets really, really rambunctious and really layered with stuff. You can still hear everything very clearly. Um, and, and very, you know, it, it's very pleasing to the ear. Um, but you know, listening to it now, it just it all just reminds me like, yeah, I really love this record. I think it's it's interesting you say that you think the back half is 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 better, at least for you. I think to me, the first half, you know, the first, let's say five, six songs is one of the strongest A-sides in all of Indiedom at this time. I think, I mean, can you name another record that comes out the gate as strong with these, you know, like this i don't know does they yeah dude mind, it's guys? it's not called kid b it's called kid a for that reason <laughs> I yeah i mean sure but no no yeah no that's a really know, good point yeah I like to the, have that amount of swagger um with those yeah. like that first that three song suite 
that kicks us off, which probably would have been it's a double record, right? That would I think some first. albums we covered, like recently that Modest Mouse record has a pretty strong top half. I'd say like the Rapture album has a pretty st- strong top half. Yeah. Well, I would, I'd say this one's definitely up there with those two. Um, I would totally agree. Yeah. And then I think it also has one of the best back half bangers, uh, which is It's a Curse. That was definitely one of the songs that I've always liked from them. And it was interestingly enough, it's one of the songs that from my memory hit the hardest when they played it live. Like people really, really reacted to that. And I think it's just, it's a strong song. And then to put it, you know, third from the end is a really strong move, especially after a first half that's really, you know, it really moves forward and, and, you know, it, it kind of shoots you out of the cannon and then it slows down in the middle a little bit. I think that to end to to kind of bring back kind of a more swaggering song at the end, a more anthemic song at the end, is a really bold move and a really it really works for this record. Uh, the record end it does end very very strongly. You know those last the last song especially I think is really really great. But but yeah, I think after it, it surprised me that after all these years and after all these listens, you know the hundreds of listens, that it still it still locks me out. In, in a way that it did the first time I listened to it, you know, it still, it still hits all those same receptors in my brain that, that, you know, that, that are tuned into music and make it, you know, make it really pleasurable to listen to. It still works in the same way. And I don't know how many other records, I mean, certainly we've covered a few, but it, it's not, a lot of them don't hit in the same way that this one hits. I don't know. It's just, it's it's front to back slappers i guess is is the best way to put it and uh and yeah i think it it holds up like a like a fucking motherfucker yeah it was like instantly canical when it came out and you know and i I think it's definitely found its way in instant classic is thrown around a lot but i think this one you could definitely argue was an instant indie classic yeah and it it did the work to get itself that way you know it kind of just came into 2005 really you know strongly without yeah without adding a bunch of unnecessary kind of gimmicky stuff that uh, other bands who never got out of 2005 yeah guilty of but i mean like though and i guess i'll go into my current reactions we've mentioned uh clap your hands say yeah a couple times and unfortunately for wolf parade much like clap your hands say yeah when you have your debut album, especially in the internet age, being so uh, lauded and so put up on like the hype machine, it was hard for them to ever come close to relevancy after this album. Like, I think much like clap your hands, say, yeah, it was just the bar was set so high by outlets like pitchfork and, other internet hype machines that you can. And I think that's what you guys are talking about. You, you can almost forget about a lot of these bands. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, they had that one album with a couple great songs and we don't really need to uh, kind of, we don't really need to listen to them anymore. It's just sort of like, eh, it was like a little blip on the map in 2005. Yeah. They did this one little thing that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, music history is littered with, great debut albums that then the band just kind of becomes sort of nothing after that and i i think i'd put wolf parade up there like but we could get to that later but uh my current reaction i actually 
before we started this podcast over the last like two or three years, I was always texting you guys about like, does any of this music matter at all from like the two thousands, the shit that I loved, especially like the indie rock, like bloggers, blog rock type bands. And this was one of the albums I revisited like two or three years ago. And I was like, Oh, okay. I thought I remember liking this more. I thought it was better than it. Like, And I still, there were still a a handful of songs that I thought like, oh, those are really great songs. And I still remember every, every vocal tick, like every lyric, every little synth riff, every little guitar lick, all the drum beats and all that. So it was very, it's always going to be very familiar for me because it was a nostalgia thing for me. Uh, but when I listened to it a couple years ago, I thought like, yeah, this is put that on the heap with uh, clap your hands, say yeah, and uh, other kind of disposable blog rock stuff. So when I listened to it this time, and maybe it's just because doing this podcast, I kind of, I just become a little more generous to the stuff I was listening to in my early it's 20s. Not what we had planned, by the way, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> The stuff I turned my back on, I've kind of been able to kind of respect it a little bit more. Because for a while, I just thought, like, what the hell is I wasting my time with all these bands in my early 20s? Maybe you just come to terms more with the person you were back then. This is all crap. Well, maybe I thought in my early 20s, music and albums should be, like, important. Yeah. They should speak to your soul. And, like, yeah. Right. 20 something kids singing about being heartbroken that doesn't really speak to my soul anymore like well i I think it was kind of like i feel like when we were coming of age we looked back at the 70s a lot right and in the 70s there was all this important ass music it took everything from the 60s that was progressive about music and just calcified it and made it stronger and weirder and so maybe we thought like oh these are going to be our albums these are going to be our station station these are going to be our you know whatever bowie bowie's yeah this is like this is this is our versions of that and this is going to be this is going to stick with us and this is going to be important this is going to kind of speak to our generational experience and like like all the artists that's coming that these scenes are nurturing right now but i don't know if that i think maybe that's got too washed out you know it was like it just became too much it was oversaturated or became too much of the time and yeah it didn't have much legs outside of that but anyway, so then I did listen to it for this pod and uh, I listened to it a handful of times and I liked it much better. Like I thought it held up a lot better. I didn't think it was gimmicky or anything. I thought the songwriting is pretty solid, like lyric wise. Uh, the way they sing is pretty good. Uh, the guy's voice, I forgot how he got compared to Bowie so much compared to David Bowie so much. And it's one of those things. So when I, I forgot about that and I listened to the album and then I went back and read the pitchfork review and they mentioned how his voice keeps getting compared to David Bowie. And it's one of those things. Once you have that in your head, it's hard not to hear the David Bowie, like especially like late sixties, early seventies Bowie, like, like whatever space oddity, era bowie that kind of yelping bowie and i was like oh yeah he does yeah it kind of has like that quivery kind of quality to it that like um 
And so I was surprised how familiar it all felt to me. It was funny. I'll do just a little wifey's corner. We were driving the other day and I was like, oh, we should put on Wolf Parade. I got to listen to it again for the podcast. And we put on the first song and she was immediately just like, turn this off. Like, uh, this is embarrassing for me. Like, I don't want people to like hear us playing this in the car <laughs> because it does. Cause she was just like, why all these bands you guys do has that a guy trying to sing all weird, like trying to like really <laughs> push his voice out, like trying to be like all stylish with his voice, like trying to, and I was like, yeah, well, I mean, you just like more of the nineties kind of slacker voice, like a la whatever pavement or whatever Malcolm's voice. And she's like, yeah, I guess I do. And I was like, this is the time where people were trying to be like punk rock again, but like in a emo ish way. So I was like, but also was, like drawing on like art pop, you know, like yeah, the seventies yeah. and eighties shit. Yeah. yeah. Marky Smith. Stuff yeah. Like that. yeah. Exactly. Was t- they were bringing in maybe a little too many influences and where it's kind of like, okay, dial it down a little bit. You're like kind of abrasive. And so I got, I felt that kind of abrasive quality in a lot of these songs when I revisited this album today and over the past week, but I got to say, it's very listenable. I've listened to it like six, seven times. And it is a record you can listen to a couple times in a day, or at least certain songs you can listen to them over and over again. I will say the whole synth stuff they're they're not that good at playing synthesizers guys. Like these synth riffs aren't that, they're not that great. They're like, they're, they're no like, tangerine dream, but yeah, I don't think that's the point. I know. I think it was I'd rather hear a guitar than somebody riffing on a, a dinky little synth, like kind of trying to get the kids to dance. Like it's just, it's not uh there's no warmth to it. it i think they're kind of dicking around on the synths like way too much that would be my one drawback of this album like that mm. whole power synth rock stuff it mm. just not and a lot of times they're jamming they're like jamming on the synth where it's like stop it like enough like it's too much like you're not that good at playing the synthesizer so like why are you trying to do like like fucking guitar solos or something like it, it felt a little cringy, but I will say they're good songwriters and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I think it was at the time where people were you know, just trying to incorporate different kinds of instruments and stuff too. It's like the whole guitar driven shit. It kind of run its course a little bit, you know, and if you're not a super virtuosic player, you can like rip Jay Mascus style solos or whatever. It's like, yeah. you got to kind of get your, then don't uh, try it. Don't, yeah, you're not well, going to mask it with doing it by a synth. So you so you get your kicks somewhere else or like, you know, you, you add some, some color, some depth, you know, elsewise. Yeah. I don't know. But like you said, that, that does backfire, you know, like, you know, my critiques on all these bands that just use like, little xylophone or like a fucking <laughs> kazoo yeah. you know just to do it. it it can get a little bit i don't know shredding on self-indulgent sh- shredding on a synth like synth solos like rather than like layered building synth like just doesn't do it for me and I, I i i tend to agree with you i'm uh definitely like, like even when like, like springsteen does it springsteen does that a lot what, where where he has like a, the guy ripping on the on the synthesizer, yeah. But it 
it's layered it, it's washed out or even so, when so like, you're not a rick wakeman man no or even like like when bernie warrell does it he's doing it all he's 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 warping the sound of it this this is like a clean like casio like bing, 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 bing. like it's it's just too it, it's the guy's not that good at playing the synth that's what i'm saying it, yeah. and it's too okay. much i think it's a little too kitty for you you know <laughs> Trying to be a little too, like, not novelty. as good as he thinks he is at synthesizer. That's what I'll say. Maybe it sounds good live. I don't know, but it got it. It got a little annoying to me at times. Eh, fair enough. Yeah, I think they definitely have an interest in keys because if you listen to like their other satellite of bands, like that Frog Eyes or like that uh, Slum Lake album or Sunset Rubdown, like they use keys more. It's not like, yeah, you're kind of funkier more processed sounding since like they're actually using pianos and like different kinds of textures that way um so i think that's where their interest lies you know but yeah but some like applications are better than others you're substituting guitar solos for like synth solos that just in well i mean there's both on this record there's there is a lot of guitar on this record too mm. i think i think it's just that the, the other you know one primary songwriter he writes on guitar and the other one writes on the keys so he plays the keys primarily on his songs and yeah, I, maybe i get what you're like saying piano because there is there is a piano like once on this album if it was more just like that sound like more or maybe if there was both just like a traditional piano sound and a synth sound it's just it's just too much and i'll get to in my wax like there's one song i want to highlight that is just like i don't know it sounds gimmicky as hell yeah but yeah they may they got too far into the self-indulgent gimmicky shit that was endemic of this era all right well we've talked about it enough should we hear some of these songs yeah let's get into it nah i'm out on this band you guys finish <laughs> all right now Noah... thinking about it like yeah this shit bums me out Noah's going to go get a pizza and some Miller High Lifes to relive the era. All right. Who would like to give us a slap? I got Well, Caleb, do you have the first song as a slap? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I feel like that is um, from the jump. The You Are a Runner and I Am My Father's Son. Mm. Um, just from the jump just is just a, the hell of a way to start an album. You know, like the like I said, the opening drums are just like really like what i like to hear from drums you know just like that really simple rudiment just played really tightly with a really cool sound and just coming in but it's just i don't know it's like bombastic but comforting and it kind of like reminds me if i put on like my 2006 2005 ears it reminded me of like kind of that weirdo rock kind of tom waitsy thing you know with like bands like man man and like a hawk and a hacksaw and like frog eyes and whatnot where it's just kind of like yeah incorporating kind of more roots music less rock and roll stuff but um it's almost like know. that gorgol bordello stuff or something yeah but without getting too far into that gimmick um but totally and then just like and then just how the guitars just kind of unfurl and just kind of have those cool guitar freakouts yeah and i just like how like it's just a very confident song that sets a really good tone it's a great opener i mean and it has like these vocal crescendos and this narrative element and i don't know it's it just has like an intensity to it that kind of peters off though it's like a shorter song so it doesn't like 
it can it can be anthemic without just being long and drawn out you know i think it uses the economy of of you know of its size really well and then just like yeah it just sets the tone for like a really interesting and fun album that you're gonna yeah you're just pumped for what's to come nice should we hear it yeah and i mean obviously just from the jump yeah i mean zero point zero zero one started there (laughs) yeah i mean uh, just before i hit the play button here i i agree with everything you just said i think this also is a nice showcase of krug's writing style which is kind Mm -hmm. of more abstract a little bit more herky-jerky a little less smooth than the other tracks and i think that this sets you up for like the rest of his stuff which is a little bit more prickly is the wrong word but it's a little bit more uh it's a little less smoothed out than the other songs so here is you are a runner and i am my father's son And the lyrics are kind of like weird spaghetti western like influenced like i don't know talking about like the high noon sun and being a marked man and all this stuff like i don't know it just adds a yeah a layer of i don't know mysteriousness to it yeah, yeah i think good call i think he, <clears throat> that song he talked about in, a, in an interview or something he talked about how it's it is kind of based on his dad and sort of the idea of like not wanting to turn into you know the, the the negative person that you're whatever your parent is but i think that's another thing that i like about his songs that they're a little bit more again not poetic is the wrong word but they're a little bit more i, I keep using this word but they're definitely more abstract than the other than than beckner's songs which are a little bit more straightforward even lyrically um but they're both you know very they have a, a good way with words and there's a lot of little memorable lines throughout both of the both of their tracks both of their songs but I'll play a little bit of the this sort of guitar noise outro, which I think yeah. is, is really it's cool. I'll play a little bit of the beginning of that, which is about halfway through the song. Sick. I like when they get heavy. I think sometimes the synth stuff takes away from the heaviness. Mm-hmm. It becomes too clean with the synth sound. Interesting. I'll make you a mixtape. I'll give you some uh, funky synth. <laughs> Dark to, synth. I listen to plenty of funky synths. Are you familiar with dungeon synth, Noah? No, that sounds oh, stupid. Yeah, <laughs> Google it off air. My slap, though, is song number two. If we want to just go in there. Yeah, I think this does have a great whole fucking thing. A great one-two punch. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah has, my other slap cool is ellipses. song number three. So Perfect. yeah, we might just play the whole fucking album. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you all in forty-nine minutes. But song two, "Modern World." Uh, uh, what's his name? Beckner. Is that how you say it? Beckner. I think it's Beckner. I could be wrong. Buckner. Beckner. So that's what switched with me. 
if you would have told me when I was like 21, I would have been more of a Krug head. But now Krug I'm more Drug. of a now I'm more of a Beckner dude. You're a Beckner boy. A Beckner boy, yeah. Maybe because he's playing the guitar, not fucking around on his stupid synthesizer. <laughs> um, I mean, I also had this song. As, I like his uh, voice better. Nice. I, th- I also had the song as a as a slapper. I think I I think it is a really strong one two punch. And again, I think this is another nice showcase for now this time Beckner's songs, which are a little bit more, as you're saying, guitar forward, a little bit more driving, a little bit more, you know. A little bit more traditional and indie rock traditional um and this this song actually it, it it's really i think the lyrics are really good on this song too but i don't know caleb do you have any thoughts about modern world i hate it no it's a, it's a dope song um <laughs> one thing that like of its time and i i don't know what my hang up on it is but like acoustic guitar over electric stuff i don't i'm still not there yet um mm. from this stuff from this era but it's a dope song yeah and i feel like um that dude's voice is a little bit more sensual, you know. He's kind of the fuck boy of the group, and then the other guy's like the professor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when, you, when you ever look, do you guys, do you guys remember when you professor. when you first saw their pictures? Seventies, like, like sitcom. Do you guys ever remember when show. you when you first saw the picture of them? I always thought I had them. Krug on my was wall Beckner, and B. Beckner was Krug. You know, like doesn't he? The way Beckner looks, he looks more like the way Krug sings, and Krug looks more like the way Beckner sings. I don't know. I always like mixed them up when I saw their picture. So fans, this this all our listeners out there are slap slappy whackers. Um, what do you think Beckner's we look more like? Angular. <laughs> yeah. Based on our Beckner, voices, draw some fan art. I don't know. I think Krug looks a little bit more nerdy, and I think that works for like a synth head attack you know kind of a more technical yeah. minded head i was just mainly thinking they're they're the voice matching the voice to the face i thought mm. i always flipped them in my head when i saw their picture for some reason hmm. anyway that's neither here nor there you can cut that out <laughs> oh, we're keeping um, they do have this song has a good uh it it showcases the way they harmonize and usually the way they harmonize is just the 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 main uh singer if he's not singing they're just doing these kind of yelpy kind of noisy stuff in the background that works pretty well there's a great breakdown in this song like around like the minute 40 mark i think okay all right here is a rip the modern world Background vocals. Yeah, those are cool. And again, not a synth in sight. <laughs> yes, apologize for the abruptness of that track, but yeah, I I think <clears throat> it's the way that everything's layered there. It's really, really, really great. And he, I think he does this on a bunch of his tracks where the first half is sort of one thing, and then it blossoms into this other thing in the second yeah, half. Yeah, he's very good at that. And, and I think that this... was a piano keys at the end of that song. That sounded yeah. way better than if it was a synth. 
<laughs> that's interesting. Maybe they're like, synthesized piano keys, Noah. Yeah, you know, but okay, blow but your more fucking of a mind. organic sounding thing. Yeah, you're, you're. That's interesting that you're more drawn to the organic stuff because I think I feel like Sunset Rubdown is a little bit more of the closer to an organic sound, even though it's a little bit more spaced out and washed out. Yeah, they're a little more baroque though. Okay. Yeah, the, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Well, I'll I'll go ahead and go into one of my highlights one of my slappers it's I, and we've talked about it it's i'll believe in anything i think mm, yeah it's one that's of on their my best list too yeah you're gonna blow our wads already with that one <laughs> i mean that's what the, the section end, is dude that's the that's the ultimate <laughs> the money strategy. shot um <laughs> well it's the thing is is like we already talked about the other ones i have and then the last one i have is one that you disagree on so oh okay so I'll save that for the for that transition. But but yeah, I, I, you know, I don't disagree with our friend that you talked about earlier. I think this is a very it's very it's a it's very like I, I read I remember reading somewhere that someone mentioned said that um, the Smith song There's a Light That Never Goes Out is the epitome Smith song. Like everything about that band is in that song. And I think you could say the same thing about this song for Wolf Parade. I think it encompasses a lot of the things that they're really good at, but it's the also... xenophobia of the Smiths. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, fuck off uh, Morrissey, but, but I think it just really encompasses a lot of what makes them great. You know, I think, yeah, for sure. I think that there's um, just the way that it, you know, that the sounds build off of each other, the way that the the chorus hits, the way that, you know, the repeat things, it's just, it's really, really anthemic and really, really, you know, really, really pleasurable to listen to. It was um, the anthem of 05, right? I mean, it was really one of them. tops this in 05, like far as songs of the years go. This is definitely one that you blast, you know, windows down, you know, fucking yeah. stereo still, up as loud as possible. Still slaps after all these years. I don't know. I feel like a good contender is um, the John Wayne Gacy um, jam from Shishon. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a good one, too. That's one where he's like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Oh my. yeah, yeah. yeah that's um, a 2005 banger. Yeah, this that's song. That's a I just mood enhancer. Still slaps after all these years. Adrian, what you were nice. saying, how this is like their definitive song. That got me thinking today. I was just thinking of all these great bands, like like iconic bands. Hell, almost every band you could reduce to one song, yeah. whether that's in, indicative of how their their breadth of their career. So it's like, like I was their thinking about, age of consent. I would yeah, say yeah, no, that's, but I was thinking about that example. today. Like the Rolling Stones, you would reduce them to satisfaction. Like that's the Rolling Stones song. If you put one into space. I was thinking like the Beatles would be I want to hold your hand. It wouldn't be something that's on Sgt. Pepper's or something. It would be that song. Wouldn't it be Rocky Raccoon? <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, I was Revolution thinking about that. Nine. How like every band, no matter how pro prolific or great, you can reduce their career to one song as far as their influence and like their definitive sound. It's, it's mm. kind of weird. No matter what you do. You're only as good as your like most iconic song. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think it works probably for ninety percent of bands, but I think the there's still that ten percent that are just too weird and too. And yeah, I think that's, that's where true. things get really interesting. But 
I agree. I think that there's a lot of bands that will, that they've released, whether, you know, whether they have tons of great records or just one good record, I think that a lot of bands, yeah, you can reduce to one definitive song that if, if, you know, if some fucking, you know, alien comes and you're, they're like, what's fucking rock and roll, what's indie rock, what's rap, whatever, you know, you can reduce that to one song and be like, this is the definitive X, Y, Z I would say, song. listen to this podcast. <laughs> That is interesting. Where would you go with rap if an alien was like, "Give me one hip hop song, one hip hop song," or like I, I was thinking more like one Tupac song or something like that, which I think you can you can do, but no, do no, like parents, no, parents just don't understand genre. the whole thing of hip hop. Wow, that's... parents just don't understand by Will Smith because everyone can relate to your parents are bugging even aliens. <laughs> it's a universal theme, baby. That's hard because it's so regional. Yeah. yeah. Right. I don't know. I maybe I, something like cream or something that that yeah. De- yeah. defines a certain sound. I think they would attitude. respond more to the like southern shit though, because like your Memphis hip hop, your like mm. Atlanta hip hop, your Houston shit. That shit sounds like yeah. That shit sounds way more like alien and like and that's only what weird and dank people of planet Earth think aliens sound like. I've communed with aliens, bro. I was thinking like the one that pops into mind and maybe it's just the West Coast bias, but would be nothing but a G thing. Cause I think yeah. Snoop, Snoop Dogg's voice is so it bridges the old school and modern day rap so well. Yeah. And it has like a and samples. Dr. And Dre is like... so good at sampling. Mm-hmm. It's such a clear defined way. Or I would do like a public enemy song. I think. Yeah. Something like that. That's hard. Well, we'll say that for another day. Yep. It's kind of like Desert Island. What's your alien capsule? Yeah. Alien <laughs> capsule. We'll have so to let's have a special hear... app, alien capsule app. <laughs> well, I think that's already a bit on another podcast that I listen to. But well, we can uh, we can keep that under our hat. All right. Well, here's a little of I'll believe in anything, which unless anyone had anything else to add to to this, I'll I think we should get into it. Lighters out. <laughs> this definitely had that effect when I saw them live. The people singing along. Oh yeah. Down the way. Keep it going, Adrian. Keep it going. <laughs> I can take the fire out from the fire. See, not a lot of synths. Not a lot of synth fuckery. Very heavy bully on yeah, that one too. Totally. I think there is a synth writing throughout that whole yeah, song. But yeah, just writing, section. writing, <laughs> playing chords, not playing <laughs> notes, not playing, not not riffing in a riffing and rolling. Okay, you just don't like the solos. You don't like when the synth steps I don't out. I like his fingers moving around too much. <laughs> All right. K I S S bitch. Slow. Yes. Yeah. Slow and steady. Don't finger blast that shit. I mean, Caleb, you got a slapper? Yeah, I mean, uh, I got another slapper. I have a whole bunch of slappers, but I, I just kept I saw it to you two. put the whole album. This is like your <laughs> favorite fucking album. Yeah, it turns out. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, definitely one of the more nostalgic albums we've done. But um, I think Shine a Light is, like I said, it's kind of an yeah. end, 
end time and album towards the end there back end that's his that's uh beckner's like that's his i'll believe in anything yeah exactly that's why i wanted to highlight a beck a beckner um i think it has like uh canadian but the boss energy you know to it um which i think they touch on in a number of reviews um yeah at this time this is like the first wave of it's okay to sound like uh you know bruce springsteen some bands just like fucking made a career out of it others just had their album or their songs or whatever people tried it in like the late 90s but it didn't take on until you're right like post like the killers and yeah stuff like that and then people found it on vinyl and they're like oh this shit's good and it's and and it was also a thing where like people had interest in playing with fuller bands you know rather than just being guitar drums bass you know and singing it's like oh what if i threw like horns and fucking pianos and whatnot into their like having multi-layer guitars and you know things like that so um and with that you know i think it has a great rhythm work um the drums mm-hmm. are just like that crunchy ass drum and the bass is just fluid and crunchy and it moves the whole thing along and i like the end piece too it gets kind of jammy and feral at the end um it kind of like has this motif that it goes back to but then just does its own little little jam along thing and i did make one note i don't know what i meant by it but i was like garage arcade fire <laughs> it kind of has like uh, that i think endemic. you're right think arcade you're fire right. but done with a lot less bells and whistles you know um a little more yeah spooky. it's like a, a little more version. spooky and a little bit more in the basement you know like a lot more uh minimal and yeah a little simpler so yeah i thought that a good section is about the one uh, minute 20 mark for like 30 seconds. And then, yeah. And then at the end too, the where it gets jammy, but yeah. What do you guys think of this song? Well, it's funny that you say that. Cause those are the two sections that I, uh, I marked off too, Caleb. Great. Brian's uh, great. Brian's bro. bro. <laughs> I agree. This is one of the better, this is one of the best Beckner songs on here, I think. And yeah, I really love, he does this thing a, a couple of times where he has this kind of chugging guitar and then the synth is kind of driving things a little bit too. And it's just, it's really propulsive and it really, it really, it really elevates like the vocal takes. Cause he, he does have this kind of Springsteen soaring thing going on. And mm-hmm. yeah, it just, it all comes together on this song in like a, such a great way. And uh, yeah, I think this actually, I think this is opens sort of the second half of the record. And I think it's a great way to kick off like the B the side B of the record. But Noah, did you have anything to add, or should I just uh... just yeah, solid rocker? It, again, it has good uh, backing vocals. Like it shows how they pair their yeah. voices really well. It's just like exuberant, you know, Canadian rock. And there you go. Here is a little of Shine a Light. That's like a weird uh, drum time signature on there. It's like off, but not off. Yeah. It's great. Uh, he, yeah. I, I really love how loose it is, but also kind of in the pocket at the same time yeah. in a weird the drummer way. Drummer or the drummer rips? I have no complaints about the drummer. Yeah. Drummer's great. Big, big drum energy from the get. Hell yeah. 
Um, and then here is a little of the outro that you were mentioning, Caleb, which I, mm -hmm. I agree is, is really kick-ass. Yeah, that, like blocky kind of like organ vamp that they're doing. That's like, yeah, it's a nice way to cap it off. Great. All right. Does anybody else have any um, bangers to share or, you know, honorable mentions or anything like that along those lines? I, uh, grounds for divorce. Nice. I don't know if we have to listen to it, but that line he sings about like the the breaks of the bus sounding like whales or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah giving their yeah. voices down. That's like very every, cruggy in line. Yeah. yeah. Every time <laughs> I see a bus now and I hear the air brakes when it stops, I always think of like that. Well, pretend it's whales keeping their voices down. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. That sound doesn't bug me. The air brake sound. They're, but they're really good visual, visual lyricists. I think, um, like I said, they kind of, it's a picture. Yeah, and they, and they paint a picture of like a like a really vibrant, I don't know, urban dwelling kind of situation. I don't know. It's 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 cool. I mean, I definitely like kind of like sparked my imagination, you know, when I was listening to it when I was a little teenager. For sure. Yeah. I'll play aspirational. just a, Yeah, definitely. Um I'll I'll play just a little bit of this and then we can move on to the next song. great and i just love that like kind of pinging guitar and the way that mm -hmm. it kind of comes in over the drums like just really 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 fantastic um but unless anyone has like another absolute banger i can get into the one that i think it, i think is a super banger and noah disagrees on nice yeah let's fight so it i out. mentioned it <laughs> so i mentioned it before um the song is it's a curse mm. um which i think is a really solid back half song um, as I mentioned, it got a huge reaction when, when I saw them live, but I think that's the way that it's placed in the back half of the record. It's, you know, it, it kind of livens things up right at the end there. Um, it comes right after I believe in anything, which is a little bit more plotting. And then this one's a little bit more driving. Um, and I think it just helps you kind of lean into the next, the next two songs, which dinner bells is like the longest song, um, and very slow, but then this starts on fire and on and then Themic kind of, uh, kind of vibe and i think just these these last three are really uh, a great way to cap off the record but yeah it's a curse i, I really like this song but you disagree with me noah what's uh what's uh, your opinion you know, slight whack i don't care for the opening riff of this song it's like a little too spiky riff i think it's mainly uh well you're saying it's a positive where it falls on the album i just think to go from i'll believe in anything and then to this song it, it, it just feels out of place i will say though because it's a beckner song he is really good at doing the last final kind of bridge of a song where it all comes mm -hmm. together 
So I think like the 135 mark, I, I would say the last minute of this song is a slapper. The first minute, just not so much. Maybe it's just the shock of coming from the epic, I'll believe in anything to this song is why I put it as a whack. I should have clarified it is slight whack. Soft nothing, whack. Nothing, nothing. Yeah, soft whack. All right. You're not Caleb? serious about it. <laughs> and his and his during the singing, exploratory phase. His singing, he is doing a little spitting bars. Yeah. A little yeah. bit, yeah. His yeah. Little Montreal snow in form. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he man. uh yeah, he crawled so Drake could run. <laughs> um I, I i see both of your points i think it's a uh, yeah i think it's 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 kind of an anthem in its own way and but yeah i don't know i don't i i feel it's like more like an honorable mention than a banger to me but i i could definitely it does have like a cool energetic live feel and um yeah the way that he just strings together you know uh his songwriting i think it's really effective so yeah i, th- I think i'm more on the positive side with this jam nice all right, I'll play a little bit from uh, the section that Noah mentioned here, and then we can uh, move on to our wax. Kind of sounds like your phone's left off the hook. That little brant, 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 brant sound. Yeah, kind of, yeah. baby. Yeah, and then, it's it's a weird song. Yeah, I mean, and then maybe I like it. Oh, let me just play a little bit of this outro because I think it does switch up in a really nice way too. So here's a little bit of the end, which we mentioned. Beckner is really good at, at that transition. Brings it home. Yeah, nice. it sounds like two different songs. Well, <laughs> first, it's like split in half. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of how he put some of these things together because there's definitely more than one track where it, it starts one way and ends another way, but it works for the most part. Yeah, and there's a fluidity to their playing where they can kind of bring yeah. disparate elements together you know and they and they play just loose enough to where they could just kind of go off in a, in a kind of more yeah like, they always have direction. that anthem maybe like a punk rock influence they always have that in their back pocket where it's like we yeah can, there's like an anthem kind of that's what made and the drummer is so in the pocket where he's like i yeah. can take it back to like Maybe that's why this album's so effective after all these years because it's just kids like dancing in the everything is the... just like yeah. Uh, there's under it is an anthem just waiting it, to happen. It, it's dancey. sometimes they hold back and sometimes they don't. It's more dancey than it is like sad like it's, in your bedroom. Like, I think exuberant is just the right word for yeah, it because yeah. celebratory exuberant. Yeah, exuberant rock. Yeah, for sure. All right, the Wolf Parade marches on. Who is the Grand Marshal of the Wax? Noah, what's All whack? Right. I gotta um, say, there's one song on here that I think you could just get rid of. It doesn't need to be on here. And it's an example of just too much shitty synth. <laughs> it sounds gimmicky. And this is in my notes where I put, like, is this a blast beat? 
but uh, it's song number five, Fancy Claps. No, you should name. listen to um, American Football. They use a lot of blast beats. Uh, two birds with one stone over there, pal. Um, it's too much riffing, dicking around. It's filler. I just don't think it needs to be there. And it like sounds that- like tossed off. I like the song. I think it, it sequences well, but like the name yeah. is just so 2005. It was that oh, was yeah. like peak actual hand claps, acoustic hand claps, peak MIDI hand claps. It should be on Clap Your Hands hand Say Yeah album, not this album. <laughs> they should have traded. They should have wrote that song. Clap Your Hands Say Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they should have wrote that song for Alec Onsworth, sold it to him, let him this, deal with it. This song also has, which became a cliche. Probably at this point, it was already a cliche, but there's so many bands and so many songs where there'd be a moment in the song where it would drop off and the clapping would come on. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, I can think of at least a couple of other instances of that. I know the Blood Brothers had that and some other bands. A broken social scene. Had broken that. social scene, yeah. But I think that is that in this song? I believe that's in this song, right? Where there's yeah, that there's kind of drop. Cl- there's claps in this song. That's the, yeah. that's what this whole song It's a experiment in. In, two, in 2005 <laughs> yeah it, it's very dated it it should just go get rid of it harvey scissor hands this bad boy out of here <laughs> oh there it is yeah i mean i i agree with caleb i like this song i think it does sequence well after we built another world but you know if you dropped it i don't think you would really be missing too much um it's also um, it's less than three minutes long it's not really it's kind of a slight song in it anyways so i don't disagree but I would personally keep it on here. Uh, Anyways, let's hear a little bit of Fancy Claps. I think another reason why this song might chafe a little bit is because it comes, it's like another driving song that comes after two really driving songs that are really like propulsive. So yeah. maybe, maybe we don't need a third one, you know, cause then same nice. ghost every night really brings it, you know, down to earth and it's kind of more of a, a ballady kind of thing. Although it's not really a ballad, but it's kind of got that vibe. So yeah, I, yeah. I think maybe you're onto something though. Yeah. He just, tinkling the ivories a little too much <laughs> uh all right does anyone else have any wax or anything i don't personally i think this album uh doesn't really have a dud there's Damn. not to say that there aren't parts i didn't write them down or anything that like it may give you a little 2005 induced cringe or something here and there but other than that i think all the songs are operating at a very high level yeah, nice. That was my biggest. That was my biggest whack. Well, if that's the goddamn case, then we can just go into our ratings. Let's just hear "I'll Believe in Anything" again. <laughs> How about we give feel. our we give our ratings and then well, Caleb's tabulating. We can get one little taste of "I'll Believe in Anything." Yeah, it's gonna take me at least four <laughs> minutes to. <laughs> All right, so ratings. Caleb, what do you give it? You giving this a 10 or what? No, no, I don't. There's just, I mean, like I said, I really enjoy it. It, it, it really still resonates with me, but I, I can't give it a 10. I don't know. What's it, stopping you? Because it's just like, 
very solid, you know, but not like it doesn't hit that upper echelon for me where it's I kind of have like a spiritual connection to it or whatever. So I'm going to give this album a very generous 8.9. Nice. Very nice. Adrian? So I've gone back and forth on this a little bit. First, the first listen straight out the gate, I was like, all right, this is definitely in the kind of, I don't think Pitchfork's off with a 9.2, but for me personally, it's a little higher. So I was like, all right, 9.3, 9.5 range, probably about right. <clears throat> but then listening to it now and then thinking about like the way that this record, you know, how this record affected me when I was younger, how it affects me now, how much I've listened to this record. I can't really give it anything less than a 10. Whoa. It's just, Whoa. It <laughs> and you know, and also it's been a while since I've given out a 10. So I think it's, I think we're Bo due. This alert, is, baby. This, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so this is uh she's local to where I'm at anyways. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is for me a, a perfect 10. I think there are, oh, uh, yeah. I think it, yeah, I think it's up there with the MIAs, with your, with your, you know, BSS, uh, MF Dooms, you know, with, or Mad Villain, I should say. Um, yeah, BSS. Um, for me personally, I think it's, it, it definitely is part of the canon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, well um, so yeah, 10, 10.0. Oh, fuck. Fuck, dude. Well, I got to bring it. Hey, back he's a true there. believer, folks. That's what, that's, there it is, man. <laughs> Well, I was going to give it 8.5. I was going to give it 8.5, but now I got to do some mathematic trickery to kind of put these guys in check a little bit. So I'm going to go 6.9. Whoa. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to go 8.5. 8, 8. 8.5. 8. That's Solid. strong. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an album that I think stood the test of time. I, I do really like did. the idea of you cutting off your nose despite our face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that gives us a nice i'll believe in anything and i believe this album is a 9.1 baby so yeah there you go so pretty like pretty online yeah. pitch for. all right i'll believe you believe so whatever happened to this band um they still make albums they yeah, still they're tour. still together they're, they're still f- together they're still got the core they unit came out with the album in 2020 believe yeah it or not. Of all of all years and it's not completely terrible. No, I remember like I would listen I to listen it here to and it. there. Like Jen would have it on or something on a mix. And I'd be like, what is this? She's like, new Wolf Parade. I was like, oh, I guess they, they still make music. And I was like, I ain't mad at it. A little less raw or something. Yeah. Yeah. They've I definitely mellowed out a bit. Have more of a, their own sound. Like I don't know. I think they settled into the sound. I stopped and- listening to this band because for whatever, when I was younger, man, like album artwork if it was bad, I would not listen to the album. So, like the the follow up <laughs> mm, to this, that's funny. Expo eighty six. No, the Mount Zoomer. Oh, Mount, at Mount Zoomer. Yeah, sorry. The Expo album cover is, is hideous, so I never bothered to buy it. <laughs> I was just like, nah. And the, what? And, and it was. I guess it was more like going for a proggy thing. Okay, it would sound like you had something to say there. Oh well, Noah's a published uh, album cover artist, so he would know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, sure. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> could be responsible for why I haven't moved as many as many units I would as I would like, or maybe it's responsible for ex- why I moved exactly how many units. I don't know. I'm just saying, he's yeah. an expert. 
Um, but they, did you, Adrian, did you follow them in like the, the expo 86 years or no, I mean, subsequent? I, I, I was, I did like at Mount Zoomer. I thought, um, I thought it was better than people made it out to be. I think coming after the first record, it, yeah, it definitely suffered in comparison. Yeah, more proggy, but I think it's a little more proggy, a little bit weird, like a little bit. I don't know. It's just a different beast, and I I liked it, and I think there's some strong songs, and I think there's strong songs strewn throughout the rest of their discography, but I don't think they ever put together another album solid as solid as this, like front to back is solid like they always had like two or three really great tracks but the rest was always kind of for me personally a little bit more disposable than than anything on this record so i didn't really keep up with the rest of the stuff as i mentioned early in my history i we did play it a lot in the office and and when the um not when this last record came out or maybe we did spin this last one but one time but the the one before it, i we did listen to a few times and that one was actually pretty pretty good i think I think even Pitchfork gave it like a seven point something. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I, uh, they're still around and I almost saw them live last, uh, last year, but instead I, uh, I spent it on something else. So um, hopefully they'll come back around and I, they, I definitely would want to see them live again. They're very, they were very good that first time. So I imagine, you know, now they probably uh, just as good, hopefully. We'll have to wait. 2025 when they do the 20 year 20 year. <laughs> entirety of apologies to queen mary oh i'm there guys i'm there yeah it's my it's for me with this band like i said i kind of lost track of them but they do i sent you guys the video they do have a great mm-hmm. in-store video of them at um amoeba records amoeba. the what's in my bag series which is a bag i highly recommend if you like a band you know, they just give you recommendations. It's a good way to build your list of what you should be listening to. But theirs is great. They talk about everything from like Skinny Puppy to um, Unwound and a bunch of other things. And they're just, you could just tell these guys are like super into what they do and super into music. And um, yeah, kind of give me a whole new interest and respect in these dudes. So shout out. Yeah, totally. that was YouTube a cool video. Yeah. They And then they, they do go deep on Canadian bands on that. On, yeah, on that even whole clip even to like indigenous you know first nations yeah. music and stuff like that which is really cool you know good on them sweet nice. yeah so the true test now we've come to the true test and uh, a little uh warning here folks this we will be indefinitely retiring the smooth scale um after 20 episodes of this hallowed segment and giving you the gift which is Grammy award-winning 1999 hit smooth by Carlos Santana featuring Rob Thomas of matchbox 20 smooth. We are moving on and we will be doing a similar segment with a different song. Um, life's been really good to us with this song, but we need to move on and pick another song that kind of has the same vibe, same resonance, just, you know, switch things up. So this will be the last smooth scale that we're doing for the foreseeable future. Last little bump. Um, we have to change, you know, change dealers. Emptying well, yeah. the bolsita. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as the smooth scale goes, I, I don't think this album needs a palate cleanser at all. No, like, yeah, you know, it doesn't need a medicinal smooth. It's hard to slot Santana's smooth within the context of this album. I don't, I don't know if it really fits at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of never the twain shall meet kind of scenario. Yeah, 
I wouldn't. I mean, I would. I'd probably listen to the smooth and this album in the same day, barbecue kind of setting. That's definitely probably happened in my lifetime. Uh, oh yeah. There's no way I'm putting Wolf Parade on at a barbecue. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's like the really unsuccessful barbecues where it's just like six dudes. Maybe the apartment. dinner bells song, just yeah. when it's time to eat. <laughs> no, I think we've we definitely had little indie rock barbecues before. Yeah. Like there's I no wish... like parentals or anything around. It's like, oh, what are you guys listening to? And they just like crush beers and you know, pass the iPad around. I feel like this definitely around. has came on at uh, two in the morning in the uh, the sort of post barbecue haze as well. Oh yeah, yeah. our buddy Age, the our real Adrian, barbecue. Our buddy Edward, our friend, he would put on dinner bells way late at night. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> he might be the most uh, emphatic indie rock fan that we actually know. Sneakily, low key, but only after midnight. Yep. <laughs> and then you're listening to all sorts same, of times. Same with this fucking same with this goddamn cousin, Manuel. I just talked yeah, to him the other like day. Times New Roman and Shoo Shoo, out. baby. Yeah, Manuel and his his love for like Chilino Sanchez and Bell and Sebastian. <laughs> Hell yeah. They do they both got the cool trumpets. Yeah, that after hour there's yep. like good time feel. Yeah. All right. So let's give this uh segment its proper due, proper send off, Adrian. Play that eternal slapper. Here it is for one last time. Smooth. No me digas. No me digas. (laughs) And here we go. You know what I was thinking um, based on our off air conversation, like this song couldn't even redeem Woodstock 99. You thought that would be like, <laughs> how was that not a slam dunk? Santana's at the original. Why was he not there? If anything, he could have saved the whole fucking thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, he would have, uh, he should have come out. Equally as high on acid as he was at the first Woodstock, and just sometimes uh, he never settled the crowd. He never came yeah. down from that initial yeah. one. If anybody could have put out those fires, it would have been him and Rob Tomas. Yeah, that's true. Did he play at '94? He must have mm. had to have. Because '94, they were doing the the old acts meets the new act. Yeah, it was a little more successful. Yeah, it was like Green Day and then fucking, you know, whatever. The the David, David Crosby. David Crosby, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I had more like the Lil Affair kind of vibe too. Nice. Nice. Okay. Moving on. Noah, do we have a little gamey game? Yeah, let's just do a little super group action nice. because these two dudes Bachner and uh, Krug. They're, they're they no formed Bachner and Krug. <laughs> <laughs> they're no strangers to supergroups. They were That's in. Right. Can you guys name their supergroups real quick? We've already mentioned them before in prior podcasts. I can I can definitely mention them, but Caleb, you got one. I I think I mentioned them most every episode. So I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> let you take the. 
so krug <laughs> thanks so um krug as we've mentioned numerous times before a member of the supergroup swan lake which also involves his uh, co-conspirator in frog eyes uh, i forget the uh, casey casey mercer casey mercer yes and uh dan behar of destroyer and uh our old favorites the new pornographers yeah, Fame. there's no way that album's not annoying <laughs> uh, and then uh beckner he's part of uh divine fits with yeah. Rit daniel from a band that i'm sure we'll get to eventually uh spoon. i can't believe we haven't done spoon yet yeah i'm, I'm a little oh, surprised spoon. By that. of course we've done the, we Brit. do the fork every day let's do the spoon <laughs> pitch pitch spoon oh boy <laughs> <laughs> uh spoon gotta love him Austin, Texas, Blazer Rock. Uh, Britt Daniel. Great name. Great indie rock name. All right. Well, let's get into the let's get into the game. So the game, uh, yeah, name that supergroup. I'll give you some names of uh members of a supergroup and you name the band to which they belong. I was having a hard time because I couldn't remember which ones we'd done. I gotta start making like a spreadsheet, but I don't think I have any repeats. I'm not sure. But who cares if we do? <laughs> okay, first one we got uh, B Real, Chuck D, Tom Morello, Tim Comerford, DJ Lord, and I think his name is Brad Wilk. Yes, I know this. Is Brad? Yeah, yes. Go ahead. Do you know Adrian? I feel like I'm always jumping on the answers. No, I um, I know, I like, I know of the band, but I don't remember the name. They are called Prophets of Rage. Yeah, oh, yeah, there yeah. it is. There it is. And that, of course, is members of Public Enemy and Rage Against the Machine, and apparently Cypress Hill. Yeah, and I think one of the dudes is only from uh, Audio Slave or something, something like that. Um, yeah, Prophets of Rage. Do you? Any of you guys ever checked that album out? No. Can't say I have. Well, the guy from Audio Slave would have been also the dude from Rage, though, right? Yeah. There's some oh, Brad okay. Welk yeah, as the bass player. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Brad Welk. DJ Lord, I think, is from the Bomb Squad, maybe. Huh. Uh, cool. Yeah, I'm sure that stuff is not great, but it's probably not entirely sure bad. I'm sure they got, you know. It's probably it's, not bad. Good yeah, stuff to say. Some passable songs. I'm sure live at like a festival if you're drunk is probably like pretty good, but you know. Yeah, dude. All right. Here we go. Fight the power, baby. <laughs> Next one up, we got Steve Wynn, Scott McKeggy, Peter Buck, and Linda Pittman. Steve like Wynn, of course, is from Traffic. Dream Syndicate. <laughs> Scott McKay, is from. They did album with Wilco, the minus five. Yeah. Okay. Peter, Peter Buck, Buck REM, REM yeah. fame. Yeah. Linda Pittman, solo fame. Yeah, Linda Pittman fame. Oh you man, what this is, one is. Is it Peter Buck also in a band with somebody from Sleater Kinney? Yeah, oh, Buck maybe. is yeah. He, he goes, dude. The Sleater Kenny ladies of Sleater Kenny, they are no, they're not slouches shy. in the super group. Super, super group, group. That's true. Yeah, there's true. a lot. There's a lot that they do. Um, I would have no idea. Yeah, this is what this is a tough one. I would I would say the genre is passable rock. 
Well, <laughs> it's let's just say it's based on America's pastime. And I'm not talking about rock and roll. I'm oh, American football? The other one. American, American baseball? baseball? The baseball project. The baseball the, project. Wow. You remember this where they would do songs like about oh, baseball yeah. players? Like, like Ted Wow. I can Doc Ellis song. Yeah. Yeah, they had like a Doc Ellis song. They right. would do like whatever about Lou Gehrig or shit like that. All right, here we go. This one I think we may have done before, but I thought it was kind of funny. There's no way we would we remembered either of these. <laughs> We're both highly traumatized from these. Ryan Katner, Nick Thornburn, and Joe the Plumber. Plumber. <laughs> God. I think you you said all these names just not in that combination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know who Ryan Katner is? I don't know who any of those people are. Ryan Katner's from Man Man. Ooh. Okay, Thorn Thorn Thornburg is from. Oh, that's the Islands dude, right? Islands, yeah. yeah. The, the guy does the serial Island. theme song. Speaking and of podcasts, Joe Plummer is <laughs> from a friend of Tom. Our old friends, just a couple episodes ago, we mentioned them. We mentioned them on this episode. New pornos, Modest Mouse. Um, Joe Plummer. Huh. Okay. Remember, remember Joe the plumber from the uh, who was that? McCain, yeah, McCain debates McCain, yeah, way back the, when, yeah. Johnny Lunchpail, Joe guy. the plumber. I think Joe the plumber might have died. They're I think he ended dudes. up being a real person, but he's like, I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> like, but he died. It's like John McCain's too much of a. Anyways, pussy. do you have any idea what that band is? Wow. God no. Mister Heavenly. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, all right. I've definitely I don't think heard that, that yeah. I think uh I think you implanted that memory. <laughs> Last but not least, we mentioned Woodstock ninety nine. So let's give a shout out to one of the lineup members. We got Kid Rock, Paul C, Uncle Cracker, Toby Keith, and Johnny Ramone. <laughs> Are you fucking what is it? Uh, uh... uh, QAnon rally? Close. American ghost. You're so close, Adrian. Ghosts of America. What would they lament that? Uh, what doesn't people strive for anymore? That that American dream. Ghost of the ghost American of the American dream. dream. <laughs> yeah, very good. God, that has to be a band name. Some some <laughs> shitty band. Oh God, Adrian, you logic that one out. You know they wanted, to, even though this band's fake. Uh, they wanted to be called American Nightmare, but then someone's like, there's already two bands named. <laughs> Rest in peace, Paul C. Yeah, what's uh, the he deal? Was the, he, so was the little, he was the He was the, the um, small person. Yeah. Yeah, three foot four with a 10 foot dick or whatever. The fuck oh, is. yeah. So right wingers now, they both say that like the American dream does exist, but yet... It's been crushed. Like, what, does it exist or does it not? It only it's exists distortion. for non-whites, so they're, therefore okay. they can't have it. No one can have yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, man, American right wingers. They the culturally Hang yourself by your bootstraps, bitch. Yeah, they, <laughs> they got some. Uh, they got a lot of options culturally of what to listen to. You know, I think that's a bit a big the. 
They got Boone, the Ramones. Uh, yeah, they got the Ramones now. Um, one of the dudes from the <laughs> wait, no wait, John, is it Johnny? Did I write the right one? Johnny, yeah, he's the right winger. I think they all are. Or is it Tommy? Well, isn't I think Johnny's dead, right? Johnny's definitely dead. <laughs> They're all dead. I think so he's Tommy, the ghost in that American dream. I, isn't I think Didi? No, Didi just died. Recently. No, Didi's been dead since like 2003. Who's the one that died just recently, like a few years ago? Marky's Anyways. still kicking around, but I think that's... oh, Marky, okay, yeah. But there was another one that died. Johnny was a guitar player, right? Yeah, I think I might have meant to say Tommy. I think Tommy, he's only Tommy, the drummer. On, yeah, on Tommy's first, dead. He was the drummer on the first one. I think he became the right winger, and he also produced a couple of replacement albums. I think the yeah. only living Ramon is Marky. And then all, then they had all like the other. And he's not even an original. Yeah, but he tertiary remote. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, you got uh, one of the dudes from the Misfits is like a proud boy. That's um, cool. Yeah, and totally unexpected. And not, he's not really even a member of the Misfits. But, <laughs> yes. Um, you got all Ariel right. Pink now too. Well, let's not do this. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> you got that weird rapper with Caleb. the chin strap beard who was at the Capitol. Um, Kanye West. Close it out. All right. Well, guys, going to show you a little inside uh, baseball. I I forgot to ask, what are we doing next week? Uh, it's um, exploding hearts, guitar romantic. Oh, shit. oh, that's good. Thank you. I'm glad I didn't know because I did not need to make a stupid pun um, about that band. So yeah, we're doing exploding hearts, guitar romantic. Going a little far back into the annals, right? That was 2003 or something. 2002 even yeah I wow think. going way back yeah a little yeah. bit of bring a little power pop a little garage pop you know yeah that'll be some, some a tricky Portland one Scuzz we'll, rock. we'll have to you know pay our respects yeah. show our i have respects. not listened to that album in a very long time so i'm actually pretty excited i think it's, I think gonna, it's gonna be great i think it's yeah. gonna have a really good time with it i think it has an yeah. agelessness quality to it that will be very refreshing we'll have to it's going to be a tragic episode we'll just that's a warning out there right? yeah yep it's a sad story but a great great record i think yep great record all right well yeah thank you for joining us as always everyone um please uh, rate view and subscribe listen and subscribe um tell your friends tell your enemies tell your folks give us an email whackerslaps at gmail.com or on ig and twitter at whacker slaps uh like i said give us some uh activity over there on the podcast where all podcasts are found on uh, apple podcast spotify that kind of thing um thank you to kiki ontiveros for our theme song thank you adrian for all your work on the board thank you noah for keeping us not bored um and as always i ask what made milwaukee famous yeah. See you next week. Hit the synth. Bye. <laughs>